0: They were hell-bent on criminalizing, not just protests, but the kind of protests necessary to actually drive out this regime. In doing so, they were greasing the skids for fascism. They were intimidating people from stepping out in the type of way needed.
1: To episode 9 of Inside Without Now, a podcast hosted by volunteers with RefuseFascism.org, a movement organizing for mass, sustained, nonviolent protests demanding Trump Pence out now. I'm Sam Goldman, one of those volunteers. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Chantelle Hirschberger and her attorney, Michael Plout, about the prosecution of the Freeway 9 protesters and their recent court victory. But first, we need to talk about Portland. This week, in an ominous escalation of fascism, the Trump-Pence regime sent federal troops from multiple agencies to storm the streets of Portland, Oregon, and crush ongoing protests. Dressed in camouflage with no identifying insignia, these agents rolled up in unmarked bands, arrested people without telling them where they were going or why they were being taken into custody, deployed tear gas, and shot one nonviolent protester in the face. Trump has not only threatened to go and take over cities, his regime is using Portland as a dress rehearsal for a militarized fascist police state. This is not political theater, as some would like to have you believe. It is a dangerous advance from a regime that has declared the determination to crush the opposition and hammer in their rule by terror and brute force. As we've said before, America is at a serious crossroads, a fierce struggle for the future is underway. Camouflage soldiers that look virtually indistinguishable from right-wing militias, Free to kidnap and detain anyone at their will is a horror that must be stopped now. Fascism has direction and momentum. Dissent is piece by piece criminalized and the truth is bludgeoned. Group after group is demonized and targeted along a trajectory that leads to real horrors. All of this has taken dramatic leaps under the Trump regime. History has shown that fascism must be stopped before it becomes too late. If we lose the right to protest by legal or extra legal means, all bets are off. Trump is not losing an election. He is setting the stage to declare any outcome other than his victory illegitimate, backed up by a GOP willing to rig elections and the violence of police, military and bikers for Trump to attack and suppress any opposition to their program. Waiting for November to remove Trump is like waiting for rain when the house is on fire. As Trump unleashes his secret police, what will you do? Will you accept a fascist America? Will you stand aside hoping that politics is usual or remove the Trump-Pence regime that is subverting elections and using the military to crush dissent? Or will you join us in the streets and stay in the streets to demand Trump-Pence out now? Dangerous regimes all over the world have been driven out by the people in sustained nonviolent protests, demanding the removal of the regime and refusing to go home until their demand is met. To stop an american fascism that threatens the very future of humanity and the planet the necessary demand is trump pence out now we must not stop until our demand is won now have a listen to chantelle hershberger and our attorney michael plout about the prosecution of the freeway nine protesters their recent court victory and lessons for us all chantelle can you tell us about the case What happened? Why were you charged with such outrageous charges?
0: As you can see in the video in 2017, that was the second time we actually took to the freeway. But we were calling on people to join Refuse Fascism's call for mass sustained nonviolent protests in cities and towns across the country. When we did both of these freeway actions, we were arrested both times and we were not yet charged with anything. They gave us a ticket and a court date. A few weeks later, after the second freeway action, we went to court and they said there were no files charged as of yet, but they have up to a year to file charges. Then the UCLA 5 happened in 2018 in February, where they disrupted Steve Mnuchin, the treasury secretary of the United States. After that, those defendants got tickets as well, and there were no charges filed when they went to court. A few months later, after almost a full year after these actions, we all got letters in the mail saying that we were being charged altogether. The freeway actions, we were charged with failure to disperse, disobeying a lawful order, and unlawful assembly which are a lot of similar charges, I guess, that maybe a lot of protesters are facing today from these George Floyd protests. People have been taking to the freeways across the country, saying Black Lives Matter. So it's really important that we won this case. I was put on trial not just once, but twice. And both times there was a mistrial, which is a victory. You beat the state. But in the process of these trials, we actually uncovered that the LAPD was doing a lot of unconstitutional buying and slandering of refused fascism. And we found out that this wasn't just about what we did on the freeway, but about the politics of it all, about the message the Trump-Pence regime must go and that we were calling on people to disrupt business as usual. And they didn't like that. They were making an example out of us by going after us with these extensive charges. And we were facing up to three years in prison and a large amount of fines. And it was that they were hell-bent on criminalizing, not just protests, but the kind of protests necessary to actually drive out this regime. In doing so, they were actually greasing the skids for fascism. They were, they were intimidating people from stepping out in the type of way needed.
1: Can you tell us why you decided to participate? Why you decided to step onto that freeway, not once, but twice,
0: Take it back to 2017 when there were people protesting. People went out for the Women's March, the largest nationwide action that we've seen, really. And it was against Trump. People hated Trump. People hated that there was an anti-immigrant, woman-hating, fundamentalist, Christian fundamentalist in the White House. People hated it. But they weren't acting in a way that was actually... You know, commensurate to the danger that we face. And right at that time, he was declaring to obliterate North Korea with nuclear war. This was before the concentration camps that we're seeing today, before the, the separating of the families that we're seeing. But he was promising to build a wall. He was threatening to take away women's rights. He was calling white supremacists in Charlottesville fine people when they murdered Heather Heyer these were alarming and people were just going along with business as usual. They would be outraged, but then they would continue on with their daily lives and not actually be acting to try to stop this now. So we were sounding the alarm. We got on that freeway to wake people up, disrupt their daily routines. And I did it because I wasn't thinking about what was going to happen to me. I was thinking about what was going to happen if Trump was able to continue his program if Trump was to stay in office. I wasn't even thinking that. I had no idea it would be as bad as it actually is. Over 130,000 people dead from COVID because there's an anti-science regime in charge. We were doing it to call on the millions of people to join us in the streets and to get with refuse fascism's mission and to realize where people have power, which we're seeing today is in the streets, in our thousands, and our tens of thousands nationwide, not stopping. And that's why this demand is so important. The Trump-Pence regime must go now. Trump-Pence out now. And I did it because it was needed then and it's still needed now. And that's why I fought through in court. And I didn't just take any deals, even though maybe Michael can talk a little bit about that, that kind of struggle that we were in. The state has a lot of power and they were using everything they could against us to get us to back down. I think
1: your point about what does it mean to, to see the danger, to sound the alarm and to act for all of humanity, not just not just for yourself, I think is a lesson that all of us should take note of and follow your lead. I thought to bring your attorney, Michael Plough, into the conversation. I'm wondering, and I'm sure a lot of the audience is wondering, what was this prosecution all about? What, in your opinion, as an attorney, what was this all about?
2: I think it's about, they didn't like the message that was on the freeway. I think if they were protesting on the freeway for some other, let's say, less controversial group that it wouldn't have been filed the way it was, but because they were going after the people in power and sort of snubbing their nose at the police and the local authorities, that they decided to file.
1: As someone who wasn't involved at all, and was watching it. The persecution of these defendants really, to me, mirrored moves of this regime itself, what this regime was setting out to do at the time, criminalizing protesters, dissent, tearing up the constitution, and attacking first amendment rights. Can you walk us through how, and if you saw some of those things happening through the course of the trial?
2: I think the city prosecutor was very intent on making this about breaking the law and not about the constitutional rights of each of the individuals involved. Typically, what is done is all the alleged individuals are tried together. And in this case, they tried to break all the people into many groups Of cases instead of one case with six or eight defendants, they decided to file four cases with two people in each case and thus denying the collective voice of the individuals. And also it goes against the very idea that in most cases, everyone is tried together. This is what the prosecutor wants, but they wanted to sort of make this about going on the freeway breaking a law, and not about why the individual felt compelled to go on the freeway. So they wanted to dilute the voices by engaging in something that prosecutors never do, which they don't break up cases, they join cases. And so that was one example. Other examples is they actually tried at trial to get the judge to order that no mention of Trump, or the First Amendment would be allowed. It was if they wanted the jurors, and the prosecutor said this to the judge, and to the jury, in fact, that was being picked, that we just want you to keep your head down and do what we tell you is the law. They didn't want even the jury to use their common sense or their right as citizens to object to this prosecution and they just wanted someone to serve on the jury that would just follow the directions of the prosecutor and just convict simply because they they went on the freeway as pedestrians.
1: Do you think that there's anything that we can learn from this experience in terms of the government's, let's say, understanding of the First Amendment?
2: If I would be advising someone who's going to protest, I would say the more protesters you have, the less likely you'll be prosecuted. This group on the freeway, if there were 80 instead of eight people, less likely they would have been prosecuted. 800, even less likely. So the government will look to punish those that protest in a group that is not insufficient numbers. But once you have enough people behind the movement, then the government will take notice of their First Amendment rights. It's sort of a paradox. The government is only impressed, if you will, by the First Amendment if it's a large enough group of people.
1: What about the jurors? Was there anything that you learned about people's understanding of the First Amendment? through this process. Think considering about how the jurors responded to this case.
2: I think the jurors were surprised that they were required to serve on a, on a trial like this, that they kind of felt it was a waste of their time. Keep in mind there are two trials. So the first trial was pre-pandemic, pre-COVID t- pandemic. And so the jury felt that this was a waste of government resources that perhaps, sure, we don't want people on a daily basis protesting on the freeway. But at the same time, we do have a First Amendment and we do have better things to prosecute than people who are doing something not out of their own self-interest, but for the good of the country. So I think that there was a lot of frustration there during the first trial, which is pre-pandemic. Now, amazingly, the second trial occurred during the early days of the pandemic. So the jury was even more frustrated that here they are doing their jury duty, but at the same time risking their well-being to be there for the prosecution of something which is at least trivial at worst, a huge abuse of power. So you can imagine the frustration we had trying to keep the trial going because we didn't want this to be a mistrial and then subjecting Chantel and the others to a third trial.
1: Chantel, I was wondering if you could share with us what was it like to go through this trial for years? Was there anything that surprised
0: you, that you learned about through this process? I think if Michael has something to follow up on this, it's I went through a lot of different stages through this process. It was really important to have a team helping me, that I had co-defendants, that I had people in Refuse Fascism, and I had supporters all across the country that were calling in to demand drop the charges. And one, I just wanna take this time to thank people that supported us through this whole process it made it a lot easier and it made it a lot more clear as to why it's so important that we stuck this through to the end it was really frustrating to be seeing that the amount of work that the prosecution was doing to paint us as criminals like what michael was saying that at first they were trying to separate us all out they were trying to force me to go really quickly into into trial and through the workings of our lawyers never letting the prosecution take an inch without us fighting for the defendants to have a fair trial. It was really important that I was able to be tried together with Alex, just so that juries could see the little bit of the diversity of the people that took to the freeway that I wasn't acting as, as an individual for myself, that we were actually out there for this mission, this mission to refuse to accept the fascist America, and to call on people to join us. It was ridiculous that they were trying to keep out Trump, try to keep out the word fascism, when you see that it's the reason where we got on the freeway was political and jurors actually recognize that. And that's what the prosecution didn't want to happen. They were diligent on trying to keep it. These people are criminals. Look, they broke the law. Look, they're on the freeway. So it was just a whole different thing doing a political defense waging a political court battle when the prosecution is trying to keep it a criminal matter when there was no criminality in it because it was for first amendment the jurors saw that during jury selection and and after the trial too jurors would be like well there's a first amendment and i remember the civil rights movement and people had to do things that were against the law in order to make an important change. And so people were drawing those parallels before even knowing the full details of our case. They're like, well, if they're anti-Trump protesters, why are you prosecuting them? (laughs) You know, so there there was a lot of question marks with the jurors and they kind of saw through the prosecution and that they were just trying to treat us as criminals. And the jurors actually bravely said, no, we're not falling for that. It's our job to defend us basically.
1: There were some creative ways that I remember during the trial that you utilized to bring up what the content of the case was and really put to people which side are you on. Can you talk to us about what that was and what difference you think that made?
0: I think it was really important that we had supporters coming in. They would wear Refuse fascism t-shirts. We had shirts that would be like, which side are you on? Kids in cages, what side are you on? Abortion or Mike Pence wants an American Gilead. All these different ways that we were bringing in Trump's program and that that's what we were protesting. We weren't out on the freeway because we like to block traffic. It's clear through the evidence, all the, even all the evidence that the prosecution showed. You hear us chanting, Trump, Pence must go. You see the signs, you see us mm-hmm. uh, taking against white supremacy, and we are saying Colin Kaepernick. You see all those things, and you see that the jury just saw right through all that. And we would hold um, a banner up across the street from the courthouse that said, Trump-Pence must go. When And we actually took the stand. Alex and I, through both trials, took the stand, and we were able to tell our story and say why we did what we did. And I think all of those things combined really just had a huge impact on the jury as to actually how important their role was. For the most part, they were on the the right side of history. Nine in the first trial, nine jurors refused to convict. They said not guilty. And in the second trial, it was less, but people refused to convict because they saw that we did what was right, you know, and that we were taking a stand and that we took a risk and they were standing there with us. Michael probably can speak to what it was like. The prosecution was just nasty. Even when I was on the stand, they'd be like, oh, look, you stepped in front of this cop car. That was malicious. And I'm like, no, man. You know, they were doing anything they could to paint us as being criminals, that we were trying to vex or annoy people. That was some, vex is like a courtroom term.
1: Let's bring Michael in. Was there anything that you learned through this process? Was The whole process of discovery was so important to this case. Was there anything that that surprised you during that process?
2: Well, I've been doing this for a long time, so I really wasn't surprised. But they fought us tooth and nail on, on every step of the way. And what's interesting is that we now have a movement towards checking the powers of the police and making this a more transparent experience when people are accused of wrongdoing by the police that we get to find out about the police's background but in our case the prosecutor fought tooth and nail to keep any information about the officer background from giving us that information from the jury hearing anything, getting anything from the prosecutor, and this is typical but still disappointing this case, was that they, they fight you every step of the way for things that you would think would be just fairness that we get information about why they were spying on this group, things like the background of the officers, the training of the officers, who directed the spying on the group? Every step of the way, they're trying to f- cover up what they did. And if they are happy with what they did, why are you trying to cover it up? It should be, look, we did this for a reason, and we're sharing the information of why we're doing it. Instead, it's, we did it, trust us why, it's, it's according to the guidelines, but we're not going to give you the guidelines It's very much the kind of secret state activities. What was disappointing was that after the first trial where orders of the jury voted not guilty, that the court would not end this case. Instead, the court just said, well, the prosecutor can use their discretion and allow a second trial. And and I think that that's just a horrible example of where the Court at the referee should be saying basically, look, if three quarters of the jurors are for not guilty, it's a waste of resources and it's not fair to have a second trial. Even after the second trial, there was never a majority of jurors that wanted to convict. And yet, both Chantel and Alex were required to sit through two trials. And amazingly, that the prosecutor did not immediately agree to dismiss the case after the second trial. What I learned is, unfortunately, that those in power do not like to be questioned. What they should do, which is look at the case and say, you know, the people have spoken and uh, we dismissed the case. And the only reason they're dismissing the case now, in my opinion, is because there's so many other protests going on and they know that these Individuals in this case are not going to lie down for them that they're throwing in the towel. But it's disappointing that they're not doing it for the right reasons, in other words.
1: You know, Chantelle talked about all the actions that they did to kind of bring the content of why they did what they did into the center. I remember hearing from defendants at the time, there was a lot of buzz about the case among the public during the pre-trial hearings and the trials. I'd be interested in learning what the legal community including attorneys that you see in the courthouse had to say about it.
2: I think attorneys at least the ones that I spoke to were surprised that there was a second case a second trial that they handle a lot of different cases and that this type of case is typically not prosecuted to this degree and that it was surprising to them that there'd be a retrial.
1: Mm -hmm. As
2: to the particulars of the case, I think most attorneys, especially criminal defense attorneys, are very against the current uh, president and his politics. So Obviously, they felt aligned with the message of the protesters and really nobody felt that a crime had been committed, that certainly it wasn't something that deserved of a uh, criminal case. Oftentimes what a prosecutor can do is they can send a letter to individuals and say, "Uh, we would like to have an office hearing because there's an issue about your conduct and we don't want to prosecute you but we don't want this to happen again. And that was never offered to them, uh, even though this is the kind of case that you'd think that they would do something like that. So I think uh, most attorneys were just surprised that this was being treated in such a heavy-handed manner. And I would add that during the trial, the prosecutor went out of his way to beg the court to stop any sort of exercise of the First Amendment outside that didn't want any shirt being worn by uh, members of the audience saying anything about Trump or Pence. Again, it's remarkable uh, that that they would take the position of the Constitution doesn't apply. And here we are in the courthouse, which is open to the public, where we're we're deciding whether um, someone's actions are legal and there's no bigger law than whether the law is constitutional. And yet the prosecutor was saying every day that the first amendment is um, dangerous, so to speak, to to allow it to be um, uh, exercised even during the trial. Um, So um, it's, that's that's really what I think other attorneys were remarking upon is is how personal the prosecutor and the city uh, attorney's office took this case, and they would send out like staff members from their office to film protesters outside and and make these arguments that they were five yards too close to the building or these sort of ridiculous. Ideas that the jurors were intimidated by peaceful protests. Just, just these situations that I would be embarrassed to make the argument, frankly, if, if I was a prosecutor. So it was it was that sort of frustration that people uh, conveyed to me.
1: Yeah, I can imagine a lot of it being seen just as, as ridiculous. How did you work together to bring out the moral challenge that Chantel wanted to have as part of this case.
2: I looked at it as I had the ace in the hole, so to speak, that I I had Chantel and I knew that putting her on the stand would, would really be something that will work for us and provide the understanding and the empathy for a jury to not convict her and to acquit her. You know, she's very passionate about her beliefs. And so I I kind of felt that while a lot of the discovery process was frustrating, that ultimately they couldn't stop her from taking the stand. And once she takes the stand, that they couldn't beat us. So uh, really just trying to make her feel comfortable and understand that all the dirty tricks of the government and all the frustration of the case being drawn out uh, for a long period of time that sooner or later, you're going to get your chance to talk to the jury directly. They're not going to be able to gag you in that respect. And once that happens, it's going to be worth it because you are going to feel very, empowered by the fact that you're going to be able to speak to the jury and it's going to make a big difference for our for our case. And so I, I felt very fortunate that Chantel is, um, can speak well and is passionate and doesn't come across as someone who did anything lightly. This was a critical period of time and required action and that the action was a reasonable one under the circumstances and Mm -hmm. she didn't come across as someone who did something rash and reckless and endangered lives, quite the contrary.
1: Chantelle, I was thinking about you taking the stand and that the way that this was drawn out so long, I was wondering why do you think that they did drop the charges? Your attorney, Michael,
0: shared his thoughts on it. What were what were yours? It doesn't hurt that lots of protesters have been taking to freeways and that people have actually been really defiant. They've been getting arrested, not just protesting on the sidewalk anymore. You know, they're taking on some risk. And I think that definitely helped. But also the climate, like the political climate right now. And if they thought that they could get a jury to convict us last year and then they couldn't get a jury to convict us a few months ago. It's not going to be any different. It is really absurd that they tried to this extent, that they even did a second trial, that they were thinking about doing a third because they didn't drop the charges. Our mission actually poses a huge threat to the normal order of fascism into the business as usual. The people in power are threatened by people that come out and say, we're not going to listen. We're not going to play by your rules. We're doing what's needed no matter what. And you know, they were, they were threatened by that. They even broke their own laws to go after us. You know, they sent in a informant into our meetings that were held at a church. They slandered us at the police commission meetings. Even in court, they were keeping the confidential informant out of our case. And they, they did a really good job at doing that. They were trying to treat us like criminals because they wanted to scare people and to intimidate people from stepping out the way we did back then because it's still needed today. That's still the kind of protest that's needed. People putting something on the line. They said that they dropped the case because of police availability, because guess what? Police don't want to take the stand right now against protesters. Can't imagine why, you know. So the police aren't the good guys. And their whole case um relied upon police testimony saying that we were criminals. You know, when all the evidence points to on the second freeway action, you see we had that banner that said Trump Pence regime must go. A police, a rogue CHP officer, if you watch that video in full, right. comes right up to us, slashes the banner, yeah. pulls a protester to the ground, pulls luna to the grounds endangering us and then traffic starts to flow around us he actually a police officer made it more dangerous and that's what we're seeing today the police officers show up to protest and then they start they escalate it. the police officers start the violence the Mm -hmm. police officers start making these loud firework noises and the tear gas and the rubber bullets it's not the protesters that are starting any of this And it's just absurd that it lasted this long, honestly. (laughs) I think your
1: last connection, you know, um, that you made was a really important one. I wanted to ask both of you, as people are taking to the streets in a really important uprising, and are taking great acts of courage, while this regime unleashes cars, including really repressive measures against protesters, What lessons do you hope others will learn from
0: your experience? I would say that people that are in the streets right now, what you're doing is right. And it was wrong that we were even arrested, you know, and it's wrong that any of these protesters are getting arrested. And you know what? We won. We fought it out in court. We got two mistrials. They dropped the charges or dismissed the case. You know, they're not all powerful. Yes, they have a lot of power. They're going to use it against you, but they're not all powerful. And if we rally together, if we like stay united, you stay on mission you can't be you know we weren't wrong for doing what we did and we weren't Mm -hmm. wrong fighting it there's two sides to everything and if you see like what we were fighting for we were demanding the removal of the trump pence regime it was entirely that they didn't like that message people right now have righteous demands and if the police are coming down on you because of that the police are wrong you're right right now there's a fascist in charge you know there's that want to give more power to the police, that wants to encourage white supremacists that don't like the message Black Lives Matter to run over protesters and kill, like in Seattle, Summer Taylor. We need to advance in these streets right now. This is a period where we actually have to unite and keep the struggle going. And if something else, like Michael said, they can't arrest all of us, you know, we need to be out there in our millions. And um, the removal of this regime. Demanding the removal of this regime, and that's how we're gonna do it. And it's not gonna happen anything less than that. So we need everyone to get out there, bring refuse fascism's mission, demand Trump Pence out now in the streets and work together with us on how to make that real. Is there anything
1: that you wanted to add, Michael?
2: I think I would add that I think people need to understand that if they protest that. There are consequences and you might be arrested and it's disappointing, but don't give up that you'll have your day in court and don't be intimidated by the fact that there are police present. Don't be depressed if you have to come to court. It's unfair, but you know, you beat the system by fighting the system and not taking a deal, which they try to make it very tempting, if you will, Mm -hmm. that, oh, well, uh, this will go away in a year if you stay out of trouble. They really try to keep people from exercising their rights after their charge was a crime. And so I, I would tell people that if you're protesting and you're exercising your right to First Amendment and you're nonviolent, that sooner or later you will get justice. You have to believe that uh, your protest matters and it really helps if there is a collective group because, boy, if you went out on the freeway by yourself, they're going to arrest you and they're going to prosecute you. So make sure you have some friends with you. Make sure you got a, a phone so you can document what's going on. But don't feel that just because they're wearing a uniform, that they know what is the law and what is right, and that the change will happen if you just follow their orders.
1: Thanks for joining us this week. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that others will find us and get connected to protest federal crackdown on Portland. No more police murder of black people, no fascist police state, no fascist military war on the people, no federal agents sweeping up protesters. Trump Pence, out now. Find out how you can get involved at refusefascism.org, find a protest near you, resources to spread the Trump Pence out now message in your community, sign up to stay in touch, and of course, donate. Be sure to follow Refuse Fascism on social media at Refuse Fascism. In the name of humanity, we refuse to accept a fascist America. Trump Pence, out now. See you in the streets soon.